it's the numbers on the scale really something that we should be focusing on rather than the relationship we have with food for one the mental health of people alongside obviously physical health which is also important Hello and welcome to A Slice in Time with me, Linda, host of Woodlands What I Didn't Learn in Medical School, a platform for discussing topics that are typically not taught, glossed over, or approached from the wrong angles in medicine and public discourse. As always, you can find me at Woodlands on social media and show notes on the website lindadoes.com. Anything discussed in this episode and all episodes is for entertainment and educational purposes only. In today's episode, I spoke to fellow medical student Hannah. She has a special interest in public health, non-communicable diseases and obesity. We recorded this episode before the new government's obesity strategy was released on the 27th of July. Definitions of overweight and obesity are based on the body mass index, BMI, with a BMI over 25 being classed as obese and over 30 as overweight. Over half of the UK population falls into one of these two categories, Many health conversations centre on obesity as a problem and health risk, but what we wanted to do with this episode was to explore less common approaches to weight management. The medical establishment is inherently very fat phobic and I've got more unlearning to do and I hope this episode helps your unlearning too. I also want to mention that we do discuss weight loss approaches and calories so be mindful of all these things. Keep on listening to hear about weight stigma, the obesity paradox, better methods of managing weight and the bigger picture that we need to keep in mind, our relationship towards food, our food system and health inequalities. There is such a focus on obesity as a risk factor I suppose in medical education First of all, there's the language used around it that it's an epidemic and that it should be tackled and that all of this imagery that's used around it and it, obesity is really the big villain, I feel, nowadays. Yeah, um, I definitely feel that as well. You know, we're often told about, you know, this health condition, well, what's linked to it? And almost inevitably, if you write down obesity, something will be linked to it. Mm. Um, so, yeah. you know... We're taught about conditions and how they relate to obesity quite a lot, but I don't think we're necessarily taught about obesity in itself rather than just as a cause of another disease and, you know, how how we should prevent it and how it should be treated um, and how we talk about it, really. There's also quite a lot of research challenging the use of obesity as predictor for a lot of these negative health implications and asking people to not use weight as the sole marker for health because obesity can often be an indicator of other behaviours that will cause the diseases but there is a growing body of evidence showing that obesity in itself might not be a problem um, and that health behaviours would matter more. I came across something called the obesity paradox. There are a couple of different papers sort of talking about it differently, but essentially it's the idea that people that are in the higher BMI ranges have been found to live longer and have better outcomes in certain diseases. But then some papers are contesting that, saying that it's due to methodological flaws and so on. But it's interesting and I think definitely challenges the norm and what we usually are taught. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the obesity paradox because we talk about obesity being purely, you know, often we kind of think about it as being that people are eating too much and not exercising enough. There's a mm-hmm. lot more that contributes to it. And whilst it is to, you know, partly to do with increased caloric intake from 
what we used to have. We are eating a lot more and not moving around less, but you know, we have societal influences mm. on that, genetic influences. Yeah. And again, it's associated with quite a few unhealthy behaviors that we do link with you know, increased mortality and morbidity. Mm-hmm. Often we kind of taught that obesity just leads to this rather than kind of health behaviors surrounding obesity and contributing to it also have a role to play. And I think it's quite interesting that there are studies that show that, you know, this whole fitness versus fatness, you know, mm-hmm. someone who's overweight but fit has a better outcome in certain conditions than who's someone who is of a normal weight but still physically pretty inactive or not very fit. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get a bit triggered by that, the assumption that that is possible. Yeah. Um, especially with everything that's usually taught. I want to talk a bit about what the current mainstay management and norm is in terms of managing weight. Really, for a long time, it's been dieting and calorie restriction. Yes. I was looking at the government recommendations and then I clicked through um, because they were talking about this NHS 12-week weight loss plan and it was recommending a daily intake of 1,400 calories for women and 1,900 calories for men. I think the recommended intake is about 2,000 to 2,500, somewhere in between those um, for most people that want to maintain their weight. But um, as anyone that has counted their calories in the past knows, like those are really quite low numbers. I just can't believe that's a plan that's approved. And especially at the end of the 12 weeks, um, I was looking and it said, you know, great, you're here, but now you need to try and maintain your weight. And it's sort of like you've done this entire 12 week plan thinking that that's it. But then you're told that you need to continue for life or honest, it just doesn't work. Exactly. And often, you know, you can be told anything about all of these diets and you get to a point and there's no maintenance phase. It's just kind of you're left there in this calorie deficit where your body is trying Mm. to, the human body is very good at adapting to any environment it's put in. So if you starve it, it's going to try and gain as much weight as possible. And like you said, once Mm -hmm. you get to that point, where can you go from there? Because your body will often try and gain the weight back. So you end up in this kind of yo-yo dieting. And that has implications in itself. Unhealthy body image, um, unhealthy behaviors in general uh, that might also be linked to things like eating disorders. So you know, mm. I think often the ideas are there and then we kind of lose it with the maintenance phase. And, yeah. you know, it's often kind of easier said than done. And I think for anyone who's tried to diet or anyone who's tried to count their calories and things, you know, once you actually try and do it yourself, it's a lot harder than you ever thought it was when you were telling mm. your patient to do so. Yeah. And uh, it's just not a sustainable model as well. It's It's what we're taught to recommend and what most people go by and even the NHS recommendations but at the same time they're saying do this but there's so much effort and work that goes into it it just isn't right exactly and you know the environment that we're living in at the moment isn't very conducive to how we actually live Mm. our lives the shopping the food that's available to us especially available in certain areas certain people and in terms of physical activity the time I guess the confidence in some respect to be able to pursue that as well is really tough especially Mm -hmm. if you don't have someone helping you with it absolutely yeah and you mentioned that depends a bit on where you live as, as well and there are so many different factors that play a role even things that you can't control as well such as 
socioeconomic class or race ethnicity these things also impact it and um, at the same time we look at it a lot as an individual almost a decision that people make and think that it's a willpower thing Mm -hmm. it places so much blame on the individual exactly and um there are some really interesting studies especially things like the marmot review which some of our medical students might have heard Mm -hmm. about um but here has discussed kind of the socioeconomic factors that might contribute to things like obesity. And there's a lot of interesting research and evidence coming out at the moment showing the massive differences in obesity rates. And something that I noticed most recently is that looking at childhood obesity rates, if you take the top decile for socioeconomic status and then the bottom, and you compare those, there's almost a 15% difference in obesity rates. And what it's also showing is that whilst those people who are maybe slightly better off, their obesity rates are decreasing. Mm. On the other side, people who are most the poorest in society, their obesity rates are increasing. So, you know, we're having this inequality from the start, whereas this obesity rates and that's increasing, it, you know, feeds into itself and beca- makes the society less and less equal and causing more health inequalities, I think, along with it. Yeah. But these kind of things, you know, are not really talked about or it's not really something that you associate with obesity necessarily, because like you said, often it's just thought of as a choice or, mm. you know, someone decides because they want to go to McDonald's. Yeah, they, they choose that over anything else because they have the choice to do that. Exactly. It was very interesting to see one of the prime minister's remarks about how he's going to tackle obesity and he did mention that obesity does need to be tackled especially as such a big risk factor for uh, mortality in covid um and you know initially hearing that i was like wow amazing someone's finally taking the initiative um Mm. they're taking it seriously and then he goes on to say you know we're going to try and increase the number of gastric bands that we're using and you know gastric bypass surgery and suddenly you realize that you know, it's a bit of a plaster on a waterfall, really, because (laughs) I don't really know what it's going to stop. I think a lot of public health is to do with this, but try and sort things out downstream where people are already got problems. You know, you're only going to get gastric bypass surgery or any other kind of gastric banding if you are quite overweight already. And by that point, you might already be Mm. suffering the health consequences. And the fact that this is the solution to something that's causing, you know, 65% of the population to have some kind of risk. I think Mm. it's something that needs to be discussed and something that perhaps the government and society needs to really change their perspective on. Um, Because it's not just about fixing people once they're unhealthy. It's about preventing people from getting ill in the first place. Yeah. And a gastric bypass surgery is not without risk either. You know, it's quite a big thing that's not reversible, is it, as far as I'm aware? Um, And like you say, it's really an example of reactive medicine as opposed to preventative, proactive. Exactly. And I'm a massive advocate for preventative medicine over kind of reactive medicine, Mm. because like I said, if you can stop people from getting ill, you can redirect money that you'd save to preventative medicine. And, you know, the suffering hopefully can be reduced because it will never have happened in the first place. There's this thing called weight stigma too, which we really wanted to discuss uh, today as well. Yes. 
I guess it's the prejudice that people have against overweight and obese people and kind of making assumptions firstly, but then also using this kind of stigma to, I think, essentially fat shame people. Yeah. Well, it's discrimination based on weight and size, really, that has, of course, implications in terms of the individual psychologically will impact them, reduce your self-esteem and so on. Some people that aren't as nice might think, well, you know, that's too bad, but why should we care? But it also actually directly affects the care that people receive. Um, I know that there is a lot of research supporting as well that people that are obese might, you know, not get the same treatment solely because of them being discriminated against because of their weight, which can lead to harm, of course. Exactly. And um, again, this feeds kind of into the health inequalities um, that we are talking about that, you know, if people are overweight and this might be due to socioeconomic factors, that the more weight stigma plays a role in this and the less, I guess, confidence in the first place that they have, but then ability to work. And then you go to the doctors and they have this weight stigma, which might mean that they're less likely to treat you the way they would for a, I guess, stereotypically thinner person mm. um, and how that might have further consequences on their life and their morbidity and any kind of chronic diseases that might be associated with it and it just kind of feeds back into it and this weight stigma is something there's no research to show that it is helpful exactly so why it still exists and we don't challenge that is something that's quite hard to you know brush past I guess totally I mean in terms of mainstream media and reporting of it there is the body positivity movement that's arisen and things like that but I feel like in medical education we I don't know about you but we've not been taught about weight stigma it's something that I've learned about myself because I'm interested in it but at the same time as future doctors or healthcare professionals who will be in contact with patients we need to know how to sensitively use language as for any other situation things that you say might impact the patient for life to their detriment so It just baffles me how it's such a big problem, but that we don't really talk about it. I think it's quite important to note that it is important to address obesity because it is a health risk in itself. But again, when we use certain words or the way that we speak with our patients really has to be thought out properly and really sensitive because someone, whilst they're saying it, might not understand that that is something that is going to harm or going to offend the patient but Mm. if you kind of take a step back and have a look at you know what the individual health consequences might be of saying someone's fat or overweight and using that kind of language you know it could trigger psychological distress uh, which can lead to unhealthy eating because often we use food as a way to kind of balance that stress and to take it out on that and it's things like that which lead to binge eating or more stress which causes I guess disturbances to metabolism and they probably won't want to access healthcare, which you know further increases the risk that might be associated with that Mm. and so it's really important to approach it sensitively. Absolutely and because we haven't really had any teaching sessions where they discuss exactly how to breach that I think that's something we probably we'll have to figure out for ourselves I don't know what you think but maybe one good way would be to even start if start with a question and ask you know how the patient so it's not just out of the blue like can I weigh you or something like that just rather you know maybe 
have the patient mention it rather than assume that because they are overweight they want to lose weight or diet and I don't know it needs to be mutual and needs to be sensitive and you just can't assume and then of course just based on looks you like you have no idea how healthy someone is because there's also the other end of the spectrum with someone being thin but unwell there's just so much more than just looks so I think we can't just stereotype and put people in a box and assume that they want a certain type of care because of how they look Uh, yeah and I totally agree with you there you know Mm. We get how many hours of teaching on obesity? I think we get maybe one or Mm. two communication sessions and that's pretty much it about telling a patient how to lose weight. I mean, to a certain extent, I guess you're taught that it's a very sensitive topic and you need to approach it sensitively. But then I also have seen things online where the recommendation for a doctor to approach their patient about their weight is, do you mind if I weigh you today? And that's quite an abrupt and I guess for some people startling thing which might offend them Um, and whilst we really do need to think about weight we also need to be thinking about the health behaviors and things that are associated with that as well not just how many kilograms they are in the scale using the wrong type of language can trigger the quote-unquote other end of the spectrum or another extreme I usually tend to look at obesity and extreme thinness or anorexia as two different reactions to the same problem. And that's, I don't know, the ideals and expectations that are often placed on people, especially women. And just the that the language that is used can push a person in one of two ways. So maybe, like we were saying before, if you assume certain things, it might cause them to binge eat, get stressed, put on weight, but it could also cause people to choose to tackle the problem and then go completely overboard with orthorexia bulimia anorexia and all of that the those other methods of weight loss and that are obviously not sustainable as well and damaging to your health yeah exactly and obviously I think eating disorders is probably another thing that needs to go on your channel because it's something that we aren't really taught enough about I don't think it's a coincidence that we do have a rise in obesity levels, but on the other end of the spectrum, we have a rise in disordered eating. Um, We're we're losing a healthy relationship with food. And like you said, it's two extreme reactions to a very similar stress, which Mm -hmm. is talking about weight as opposed to health and health behaviours not just what's the ideal weight, what's the ideal body measurements. It's a very different thing that we're trying to focus yeah, on. Yeah, I what agree. Probably should and do. I would even argue that often weight is seen as a marker for health. The focus becomes on driving your weight down so that it's within the BMI range or even lower. But the cost of getting there doesn't matter. As long as you are thin, somehow that will ensure that you are healthy, that you are a good person as well, because there's this whole sort of implication of you know good and bad and that's reflected in how we talk about foods in general you know in mainstream media and among friends too and there's just so much messaging around all this as well exactly and when there's so much talk about you know how to get weight down using calories as well that's adding another kind of aspect to the whole problem with disordered eating because once you start tracking calories that's also something numerical that people can focus on and that does lead Mm. to other eating disorders so whilst you can be obese you might end up concentrating so much on the calories that you can end up at the other end of the spectrum 
also if you're restricting your intake exercising more there are so many other health problems that can come with that and there's a lot of athletes there are a lot of I don't know what to call them social media workout people influencers that's the word (laughs) um, that are coming out at the moment talking about how when they were a certain what was perceived as healthy weight they didn't actually have their periods Mm -hmm. or anything which you know their their body's obviously stressed and there's a physiological response to that whereas when they're now classed as something that looks in terms of the kilograms on the scale they're overweight but you see them this they don't look overweight mm-hmm. at all but they finally manage to get their period back well surely that's saying that you know is the numbers on the scale really something that we should be focusing on rather than the relationship we have with food for one the mental health of people alongside obviously physical health which is also important mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think are some better approaches to maintaining a healthy weight? So, I mean, obviously I'm no world-renowned expert or anything, but I think it's quite... (laughs) Yet. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) I think it's quite important to think about the wider um, issues on how we live our life, what is actually a healthy lifestyle rather than what looks healthy, what numbers on Mm. the scale are classed as healthy um obviously there's a link between obesity and um, unhealthy lifestyle factors so it's kind of at what point is weight the most important factor there or is it more down to the health behaviors themselves um obviously eating too much of a processed diet will make you more predisposed to having obesity and i think the intervention Mm. should probably focus on health as that motivator to live a healthier life rather than just an ideal weight um is i think one of the approaches that maybe we should be taking and also the fact that these unhealthy eating behaviors are around in everyone and they should be addressed in everyone not just someone who looks overweight or who's someone who is Mm. on the scale something that is classed as a bmi over 25 or 30 because just because you look thin it doesn't mean that you are healthy no for sure food is another big part of it and which gets a lot of you know attention and that's why there's all this focus on calorie restriction and dieting initially but for me I've been looking into something called intuitive eating a lot more recently or Mm. the last year or two and something called health at every size and uh, again I think this is some concepts that some healthcare professionals might just find I don't know completely wrong and offensive in a way because Um, one of the principles of it is gentle nutrition so that's honoring healthy eating and so on but that is actually one of the last if not the last principle so there's sort of a bit of a program you can work through but a lot of the focus initially lies on your relationship with food and reworking all of that and I think that's so key and like irrespective of the health values of food um, and you know a lot of people that have restricted in the past they have this very all or nothing behavior or fear of some foods while putting other types of foods in a pedestal and you know that's in itself is really unhealthy and unsustainable because it means that you are swinging from one end to the other all the time and I think we need to just in general remove labels from food so obviously I am an advocate for healthy eating but I think that part of healthy eating is also you know eating chocolate because if you eat chocolate instead of saying you know I'm never going to have chocolate 
anyone that's said that you know i'm giving up chocolate they Mm. know that instantly the next thing they want to eat is chocolate um and i just think that there needs to be focus on food relationship and things that make you feel good so you know diet is one thing but then in terms of exercise thinking of exercise as just a way of moving your body and picking a type of exercise that you enjoy as well exactly and you know often we're kind of shown that this ideal is running and whilst I absolutely run love running myself for me for someone else (laughs) running is literally the worst thing on the earth but you can still be physically active (laughs) (laughs) I mean you've got your dancing which is the physical activity that's you know some other people might enjoy that I'm absolutely Mm. awful at but you know it's kind of (laughs) physical activity that you can enjoy that isn't a mental stress to yourself Mm. um and especially what I've seen is that people who have a negative view of their own body are less likely to want to engage in physical activity because they don't necessarily feel that they suit, you know, running mm. or if people would judge them for running. And that comes along with it a lot of stress. And you've kind yeah. of got to take that away and say, well, there is a lot of other physical activity out there that, you know, you can enjoy or you can do with other people. It doesn't have to be running it can be anything you want it to be as long as you're getting out there and moving and getting your heart rate up it can have benefits absolutely I I just want to mention as well in terms of exercise there are lots and lots of benefits to exercise people have this view of exercise as helping a lot with weight loss but there is a a lot of research to show that it doesn't so that doesn't mean that you shouldn't exercise but it means that you should exercise for all the other good benefits but not you know have it as something that's tied to weight loss and as a way of regulating your you know your calorie intake and compensating all that stuff because as you say exercise once you find a type that you enjoy is something that is fun but also good but for so many other reasons than just controlling your weight exactly and you know probably the amount of energy that you can burn through exercise is very different to what a lot of people think it is And Mm. the effects aren't just to lose weight, you know, they're supposed to help you feel good. They release endorphins. I guess to a certain extent, there's a sociability behind it. It's good for your mental health if you do it with Mm. other people. And also cardiovascular health and, you know, insulin response. There are so many benefits out there that people don't really associate. And often you end up just linking it to weight loss or um, Mm. trying to burn off something because you feel guilty about eating. And again, that kind of comes back to the whole eating disorder is that Mm. you're trying to burn it off I mean they do come hand in hand but I guess separate them to some extent it is beneficial in itself but it doesn't have to be as a reaction to what you eat the epic study which was a large prospective population study where they were looking at different health behaviors to see which ones were associated with the lowest mortality so death rates And irrespective of weight, they found four health behaviours that were predictive of having good health. So even if someone with BMI of 35 technically was doing these things, they had, you know, a better outcome than someone that was super slim within the normal BMI range, Mm. um, but not partaking in any of these. And then the four health behaviours were being a non-smoker, having a moderate alcohol intake, so none at all or within the government recommendations within 14 units per week 
being physically active or it said not physically inactive I don't know I, I mean I suppose that's the same thing <laughs> <So many negatives>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then having a plasma vitamin c level above 50 millimoles per liter which was like a proxy indicator for fruit and veg consumption so again those are all just mm-hmm. really good healthy behaviors which we should be focusing on as opposed to trying to drive weight down of course if driving the weight down comes as a secondary effect of doing those behaviors you know then that's fine but it shouldn't be the sole focus of you know doing that because you could eat nothing lose weight and smoke a lot to keep it down and you know not if you eat nothing you don't eat any fruit and veg so your plasma vitamin c level will be low and all that stuff yeah what we mentioned about cutting things you know if you completely deplete your calorie and take thinking that that's going to be the most appropriate diet we kind of need to be taught a bit more about you know how we do talk to patients about recommending certain diets mm. and recommending certain behaviors because you know we're always told you know they should stop smoking they should stop eating too much but there's nothing really more than that you know we tell them to exercise more and eat less well you know that's yeah. much easier said than done and often you kind of see social media magazines even in terms of what we read as medical students you have all these low fat high fat high carb low carb Mm. keto paleo you know all of these different types of diets and I think sometimes we're kind of a bit overloaded with these diets because there are so many different studies that show that one works better than another and I'm not saying that one is worse or one is better because some people feel like one works better for them and but it doesn't necessarily work for everyone Mm. and I think a lot of the time what the most healthy diets really have in common you know, say there was some research that was done into different healthy diets across the world. So, mm-hmm. you know, none of them are very similar ethnicities. You know, it's very varied. I think they did it in Japan for the Okinawan diet, the Mediterranean diet, Nordic diet and the West African diet. You know, mm-hmm. how much more different could you get in terms of population and in terms of the food that they ate as well? You know, it was all kind of seasonal food to them that was available to them historically. So the types of food were also incredibly different. Mm. But some of the things that they had in common were they didn't have all these high sugar processed foods that we seem to have a lot more of in the Western Mm. diet or the emerging Western diet at the moment, which is associated with the obesity epidemic. And I think it's quite interesting to kind of come back to this is that it's not necessarily about cutting carbs and cutting fat and Mm. all of these things that are thrown at us from different directions and none of us can ever make sense of it's kind of about not eating those processed foods and a diet that is kind of mostly plant-based because that's what you would have historically been able to grow and what is available they don't necessarily mess with your metabolism or anything in the way or your I guess your brain in the way that these high sugar processed foods Mm. do and a lot of these societies also practiced intuitive eating eating till they were full eating with family and kind of making it a social occasion Um, whereas now often the unhealthy relationships with food come from just kind of eating unknowingly whilst you're watching tv or not really focusing on what's on the packet how processed Mm. it is and not really knowing that cue of am i full and i think that's often what we've kind of lost And I think something interesting that came out, they said that one of the best things was a diet that was minimally processed with foods close to nature, predominantly plants, 
is decisively associated with health promotion and disease prevention. And I think that was quite an interesting thing mm. to come out. Yeah, no, for sure. I looked I looked at that paper as well. I think these areas of the world are called the blue zones and that's where typically people have a very long life expectancy. But like you say, those five blue zones are spread out like in quite different areas of the world. And yeah, there's a lot of, I suppose, obsession in general, especially I feel in, in you know, the last, I don't know, four or five years with diets, because I think people think that's a bit of a quick fix thing that they can address because it's not that, that yes. easy to stop stressing, for example, which of course stress is really bad, but it's people find that, you know, you, I can change what I eat, but it's harder to change my stress level. And exactly. these blue zones, like you say, it's not just about the diet because, you know, the food that they eat is part of their life, but there's also the social aspect of it. Their work it involves some manual labor. So there's a bit of physical activity thrown in, just mindful in general. And it sounds like, you know, a nice chill way to live. And yeah, I feel like we want to mimic what they have without actually kind of mimicking everything that they do and just kind of trying their diets. Exactly. And I think a lot of the time it does come back to this processed foods, which I think we already know is a bit of a problem. Mm. Uh, But when everything seems to have that in common and in the way that we have our relationship with food, I think that's something that we really need to think seriously about. Absolutely. You did this one research project as part of uni. You were looking at obesity in children and interventions for those. And you said you've also looked a bit at interventions on the population level, such as sugar taxes and stuff. Yes, well, I definitely think that whilst there is an individual level that we do need to look at and, you know, the healthy relationship with food, whilst it's, I guess, a societal approach on food, a lot of it's individual and, you know, it's trying to connect the gap between the eating disorder on the low weight of the spectrum versus obesity, which in itself might be classed as an eating disorder and that kind of bringing it back to a healthy relationship with food because ultimately what's causing both of them is an unhealthy relationship with food and exercise. I guess in short, there's a lot more to it. Um, I think it's really hard to do that when there are so many things in our society that contributes to overweight and obesity, first and foremost, really, because we live in an environment now which has made doing physical activity a lot harder and eating more processed foods a lot easier And you only have to go down to your local supermarket to know that. And, you know, you look at some of the labels on whatever you buy and, you know, (laughs) I don't even understand half of what's on there because I've never heard of it before. All the E numbers. (laughs) Exactly. And you think, you know, this is an orange. Like, why does it have that in there? Um, (laughs) But no, honestly, some things that you think is going to be a natural, healthy food or even things that are like labeled as be good to yourself Mm. you know the healthier option and you're like why does balsamic vinegar have to have xanthan gum flour corn flour in it you know it should just be balsamic vinegar yeah and there's always milk and egg powder and like random little additions as well that just are yeah it just baffles me (laughs) exactly and it makes you so aware especially if you're some you're like vegan gluten-free when you do check the labels you're like wow (laughs) what on earth have they put in this and like how can I not eat this this should be vegan normally or gluten-free you know how does this have these ingredients and I think that's something that we really have to be aware of is that whilst you know a lot of these foods do have added stuff that really shouldn't be there and I guess to enhance the taste but also to increase the longevity the shelf life as well 
but that's an industry thing and that's I guess back to society is that that's mainly down to profiting I guess so it's it's interesting to see once you've noticed it you can't stop noticing it Uh, (laughs) I challenge anyone to go down to their fridge take out something they thought was healthy or is labeled as healthy and see what on earth is in your food have their eyes (laughs) opened yeah it's like ignorance really is bliss exactly exactly and there's a really interesting book um, that I tell pretty much everyone to read it's called In Defense of Food by Michael Pollan a book that really opened my eyes to the realities of the food problems that we do have now and he kind of summarizes the book as eat less not too much mostly plants but he also has these seven rules and I won't go through them all but some of like the most striking ones was if your grandma wouldn't recognize some of the ingredients on the packet you probably shouldn't be eating it mm. unless it's like an avocado yeah. I guess if someone <laughs> didn't recognize that they wouldn't have been around and you know if they have over five ingredients or something that you can't pronounce you should probably start to question whether or not it's something that is what you want to be putting in your body mm. and whether or not they'll eventually rot you know a lot of these have preservatives in them and we don't really think about what's going into yeah, it it's like we've all seen I think these different McDonald's burgers that just have been preserved for like years that just look the same and it's just terrifying <laughs> to me going back to kind of what can be done on a societal level I think you know, once you kind of realize what's in our food and stuff, that's when you start to think about the added sugars that are in it and coming to the things like sugar taxes. Mm. And there are papers out there more and more. There are some countries that are doing it more so than others. And the UK has just implemented their sugar tax. I guess for a while yet, we won't actually know whether or not it works. But we've really got to start changing things from a societal point of view as well, because a lot of the problems that we have now and the inequalities that we have now don't make it easy for us to become more healthy for sure yeah so say that you know you can see already with the health differences between the highest and lowest percentile of the socioeconomic scales that if you can't afford to have all of this fresh food that i was talking about earlier and the cheapest thing available to feed your whole family is something that is highly processed then obviously you're going to opt for that and people who are better off and I'm not denying that is probably us as medical students are able to have that choice as to what we want to put into our body I can buy vegetables from the supermarket nearby or the veg shop or something but this isn't something that's necessarily available to everyone in society absolutely and when you have big supermarket processed food chains in surplus in populations who are poorer um, and these are studies that are being done is that you know unhealthy food shops you're more likely to have in higher density in those areas you know the healthier foods are often more expensive so it's not helping us get any healthier because it's not helping people who really need it Mm. so things like the sugar tax whilst there have been studies to show that it can help people choose for maybe a healthier option I think it's also important that we have subsidies for food that is healthier because it is shown that you Mm. know if you subsidize fruit and vegetables it does start to encourage people to eat fruit and vegetables and I don't think anyone chooses to be unhealthy like obviously you Mm. want the odd unhealthy snack but in general if you could choose you'd probably want to eat healthier because it makes you feel better. So if we can make that more available to everyone, I think that's something that we really need to take seriously in society. 
and for the government to take that seriously as well. And all that ties in, I think, with how healthcare practitioners need to meet their patients, and that's non-judgmentally. Of course, there is an individual choice element to it, but there are so many other factors that play into, you know, food availability and what you can afford and so on. And no one would ever deserve weight stigma it's really you know not justified in any way because you don't have a choice sometimes and we really need to know that and learn that and I suppose that some people find this a bit dull <laughs> I don't know like I remember <laughs> we we definitely speak about health inequalities at some point earlier in medical school but maybe it's uh, you know in later years that we've done clinical medicine and we kind of realize you know the impact you can have and I don't know why but I feel like it really is important and there just needs to be more emphasis on it Exactly. We don't really get taught much about public health at medical school, which as someone who's mm-hmm. particularly interested in it is quite annoying because you don't get to see the wider impacts of society and a lot of the socioeconomic problems or the inequality is there in healthcare already that impact people's health. And whilst mm-hmm. you might kind of be glaringly obvious, we're not really properly taught it, or at least in my mm-hmm. view, we're not properly taught it. Yeah. So. You really have to think about it when you're talking to your patients. You've got to approach it in a very sensitive way that isn't blaming the patient for being overweight or obese because in some respects they don't have a choice over that because I don't think anyone chooses to be yeah, unhealthy. Exactly. And often the way that people approach these things is that you just blame the individual for having a problem. Mm. Yeah, and then emphasising you know, what can be done but nothing extreme and just I guess an element of it would be just education about what foods are good these simple food rules just that help with choosing foods rather than vilifying certain foods and you know saying you're only allowed to eat low-fat dairy products or whatever just helping empowering I suppose is the word I'm looking for patients to make their own decisions that help them feel good like I love junk food and I'll have it sometimes but then after a while I'm you know it's heavy and you feel a bit tired and sluggish and you actually start to crave vegetables as mad as that sounds yeah we have a lot of opportunities as future clinicians to do a little bit of patient education and guiding our patients and helping them out exactly and I guess it's quite hard now with the consultations not being Mm. very long but it's already something that we should be addressing in everybody if you start talking about these unhealthy eating behaviors in everyone at any age then it kind of takes away that stigma I hope in some respects, but also addresses those unhealthy lifestyle habits in everybody. Mm. And that's, as a clinician, is preventing problems that might happen in the future because you have made an effort earlier Mm. on, which, you know, hopefully might make an impact. At the end of each episode, I've been asking people if they were put in direct contact with heads of medical education throughout the world and they were able to make one specific area focus in medical education, what would it be? I think it's really important to focus on things that are particularly prominent in our society. You know, with you know 65% of people being overweight, that's a big problem. We're not talking about it. And I guess it's kind of thinking about it from a holistic point of view as well. Often we're kind of taught these things in little pockets rather than taught on the whole how it can affect people, not only their physical health, but also their mental health, family um, as well. So I think I guess that holistic approach to everything that we do, it's not just about drugs that we give them. It's not just about things upstream that as clinicians 
might be helpful then but it's also about preventing these things and having a holistic approach early on yeah and as you know i agree a hundred percent thank you so much for having me oh no thank you so much for being on i really appreciate it and that's our episode thank you so much for listening i would love for you to share the episode on social media or with friends and family and tagging at Woodlimbs. it really helps to get the word out there i welcome any feedback and discussion around the topic as well do check out the show notes on lindadoes.com forward slash Woodlimbs 5 i have written a long article with a lot of references and further reading for you to check out so i would really appreciate if you did that as well Thank you so much for listening and hope to see you back next week.